Blog Talk Radio. All right, fans, here we go. Four two-minute rounds of boxing scheduled. Women in the ring. To the two minute round, your hooks and jabs look at female boxing. This is episode number 112. My name is Felipe Leon, all the way from the beautiful border town, border city actually, of Tijuana, Baja California Norte. And with us, as always, from the Bay Area of Northern California, right outside of San Francisco, is Miss Lupi Gutierrez. Lupi, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Felipe, I'm doing good. Good, good. That's great to hear. And like always with us here, the godfather of female boxing is Mr. David Avila. David, how are you doing today? Very good, very good. How's everybody doing today? Good. Good, good. Well, we have another show here for you guys all about female boxing. In about 10 minutes, we'll have our very special guest very good friend of the show she's been with us plenty of plenty of times we've had her before she had any hardware around her waist and now she'll be calling in as the current wba 105 pound world champion tenisa super bad estrada from east la but well she's going to be uh fighting on july 9th for her second title in as many divisions when she takes on japan's tsunami Ten. Tankai for the WBO 108-pound strap, and she's going to tell us all about that, how her camp is going for that world title opportunity, and also everything else that has gone down uh, with her in the last year and a half since she was last with us. But before we get to Miss Tenesa Estrada, we're going to go over a little bit of the fights that happened in the last couple weeks. Uh, I do want to remind you that our next show is set for uh, for uh, two weeks from now, which will be. Give me one second. I'm having a little trouble bringing up the um, uh, the uh, the script here. Give me one second. But what, what's two weeks from now? Twenty fourth. The twenty fourth. So that's going to be our next our next show. We're going to be talking about all the fights that we're going to talk about in our calendar as well as any other upcoming news that is happening. Now, we're not going to talk much about it, but it would be uh, wrong of us to not mention that today on ESPN is actually the debut of Clarissa Shields in MMA. So that is happening uh, as we speak right now. Actually, she's not fighting yet. There's some guys fighting right now, but we're keeping an eye on that because anything can happen. But going back to Friday the May 28th in France, Segoline Lefebvre scored a United decision over Jasmina Nad, who was a late replacement. She was originally uh, supposed to face former champion Gabriela Bouvier of Uruguay, but that didn't happen. She ended up facing Jasmina Nad in a 10-rounder for the vacant WBC Silver 122-pound title. Lefebvre, the French girl, took the fight with uh, overwhelming scores of 190, 99-91, and 98-92. And the next day from... Um, Las Vegas, we saw 140-pound champion, WBC champion Chantel Cameron stay undefeated and keep that belt with the fifth-round TKO over veteran Melissa uh, Huracan Hernandez. The official time of the stoppage there was 1.38. Lupi, before we talk about the actual stoppage, which was a little bit controversial, what did you think of of Chantel Cameron's uh, performance against a veteran like uh, Melissa Hernandez? She looked. She boxes beautifully. She has. She's just a clean fighter, which is beautiful long arms, and she has a nice future ahead of her. Um, she. I mean, she was. She was doing everything she needed to do. I mean, she was winning the fight. Was she going to win the fight? Yeah, she was going to win the fight. And then there was the stoppage. David, did you think that Cameron was that good, or because we all know that Vanessa is a veteran. She's forty one, forty. 40, 41 years old. And we all know that Hernandez is a veteran. I mean, she's faced 
everybody in, everybody. in anywhere from featherweight to 140 pounds title. Um, she was the WBC featherweight uh, champion. She had fought for a title of 135 pounds. But did you think that Cameron was that much better for her or just that inactivity and time caught up with Hernandez where she couldn't put up a better fight? Uh, there's a combination of both. Uh, but I actually mm-hmm. thought that Chantel Cameron showed a real uh, understanding of the boxing game because she could have... Uh, fallen into a, a lot of traps that Melissa was setting. She never fell into them. She stayed with her plan, three punch combinations, in and out, and she just battered her around the round, uh, round after round. And it looked like Melissa was finally getting into gear when they stopped it. You know, yeah. I, I agree with you, David, on that point where, where Chantel Cameron fought her fight, and that's very important to do. You know, a lot of these fighters go in there, and even though they're the better fighter and the more skillful fighter, and, and with better and with more physical advantages, they end up falling into a trap, like you mentioned, and especially of a veteran like Melissa Hernandez, who knows how to set those traps. But Cameron was able to stay composed in there, and I think a, a big difference as well. And I don't know if you agree with me, is that from the first real hard punch that Cameron landed, which was a right hand in the opening seconds of the fight. I think Hernandez realized that Cameron was that much bigger and she hit that much harder than she expected. And I think that kind of changed what Hernandez was going to do in that ring. I think it kind of made her hesitant and reluctant to to throw more punches and maybe exchange, even though she did some exchanges and, and Cameron got the best of them. Um, but she did knock her down in the fourth round. It was a weird knockdown from a barrage of punches but she did feel that power. And I think that kind of changed Hernandez's um, game plan as well, where she couldn't be as aggressive because she, I think she felt that power in that first round. Do you agree, Lupi? Yeah, I do. I, I think that um, Hernandez, she got a little wobbly. It, it seemed like it, it took her a while to recover, like, her legs. You know, she just didn't seem to have the dance. And, you know, I mean, Melissa's seven-time world champion. I mean, she could take a she could take a beating, and uh, you know, I mean, I think it was just it was just such a premature, and it's too bad that it ended that way because then you have people say, well, and I'm one of them, you know, um, it was just it was just stopped too soon, you know, and it wasn't fair for either one of them because you don't want to take David, a win like that and she doesn't want to take a loss mm-hmm. like that. David, did you think that the stoppage was a premature? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen Melissa fight. And I saw her against uh, Chevelle Holbeck, which was many years back. But, I mean, Chevelle was beating her even worse. And Melissa came back and tied her and fought to a draw. I saw her get the same uh, beat down from Layla McCarter, and she came back and beat her. Uh, that's that's Melissa. Melissa's very cagey and very wily inside the ring. And sometimes she wants you to expend that energy so she can drain you and then do what she wants to do. But I, I got to hand it to Chantel uh, Cameron. I, I really think she's a bad girl. Now, I agree with Lupe. She said it a couple minutes ago that maybe Melissa wasn't going to win that fight. But she wasn't getting – I mean, she got knocked down, but it, she was competitive. She was in the fight when it was stopped. And it was a weird stoppage because Cameron landed a hard punch and then all of a sudden he just stopped there. I mean, it wasn't a barrage of punches. It wasn't uh, a series of punches. It was just one singular punch that he she landed, and he stopped the fight, the referee. So I think that Melissa deserved to fight on. And like you said, David, you know, maybe she was – I mean, maybe she wasn't She wasn't going to win the fight, but you never knew what's going to happen with Cameron. I mean, it was the fifth round. We don't know that by the eighth round or the ninth round, Cameron was going to get busy, and then maybe Hernandez – would have done something, maybe hurt her to the body, maybe land a punch that maybe, you know, does something. And she was just not given that opportunity. And she wasn't really getting beat up to the point where uh, it deemed a stoppage. So um, that was a very uh, premature stoppage. And Melissa Hernandez's corner and team uh, did not hesitate to to uh, criticize it on social media after the fight. Also on the same card from Las Vegas, uh, Ramla Ali, uh, originally from Somalia, but fighting out of the of United Kingdom, 
scored a unanimous decision over Micaela Nebel, the veteran from Las Vegas, in a 122-pound fight, six rounds. Scores there were 60-54 three times. That was, ever since she made her pro debut two, three fights ago, she's actually 3-0 now. I've been very impressed by Ali, and um, I really like the way she fights, even though she um, has very uh, not a lot of experience as a, as a pro. She really knows how to use her physical advantage and her distance and using that jab to keep her opponents at bay and doing what she wants to do, which is box, David. Did you see the same thing? No, I wasn't able to see the fight. I have, I have yet to see it. Uh, but, mm-hmm. I mean, I was, very, I was very curious because I know Neville's pretty, pretty tough. Yeah. She's a very she good kinda, fighter. Yeah, she handled her pretty, pretty easily. And you could catch it on the zone. If you have the zone, just search for Rama Ali, and they'll, they'll come out right there. Because I just watched it before oh, okay. the show. I wanted to uh, get a refresher. And lastly, on the same night, on May 29th, here from Tijuana, Mexico, former champion Jessica Chavez, after a two-year layoff because of pregnancy, scored a unanimous decision over Jacqueline Mucio Munoz in a 10-rounder at 115 pounds. The score there were 97-93 and 96-94 two times. So that's what we saw in the last couple of weeks. In boxing, and like I mentioned to you at the top of the show, we do have a very special guest. Not the first time that she's with us. It's actually multiple times that she's been with us. But she hasn't been with us in about a year and a half. And now we have uh, the privilege to announce her as a WBA 105-pound world champion, and that is East LA Zone, Seniesta Super Bad Estrada. Let me patch her in. Seniesta, how are you doing tonight? Hi, guys. I'm hey, uh, hey, thank you for being with us here on the two-minute round. It's not the first time, like I mentioned. And, uh, well, as tradition, I'm going to pass the baton to none other than Mr. David Avila. David, go right ahead. Sunita, how are you? Thanks very much for calling. No problem. How are you, David? Good, good. I guess you just got out of training right now? Yes, I did. I'm very tired. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry Training's going that. well, though. Oh, okay, good, good. Well, you know, first off, I wanted to talk to you about the fight. Uh, a lot of fans probably weren't weren't able to hear post-fight interviews or things like that. So could you tell me, uh, go back to your fight against Anabel Ortiz and kind of tell us what was your game plan going in to fight her, uh, a multi-defense uh, champion? Uh, what was it like fighting her and, uh, and what was – what actually won you the fight? Um, well, uh, first of all, the training camp for that fight was um, great. You know, actually, I was training for a long time uh, before the fight, you know, expecting to, to fight even even sooner. Um, and, you know, what I, what I didn't realize after the fight is that, like, I really – I went into that fight, you know, fighting for that, for that big, uh, you know, world title fight after about like being in the ring for about out of the ring for about 16 months, because, you know, that seven second knockout fight didn't really count, you know? So the last time I was actually in the ring was against Esparza. So, you know, going into that fight, um, I was definitely uh, prepared because I, I stood in training, uh, you know, the whole time. And, um, you know, the game plan for that fight was to just, to go in there and make Annabelle uncomfortable and control the pace because she's so used to, you know, that's how she's so successful is because she just, she controls the pace and and the girls allow her to fight at the pace that she wants to fight at. And, um, you know, I knew that with my, with my uh, speed and timing and and footwork and, you know, all that together would just completely throw her off. And um, she's very used to, um, very comfortable moving to her left. That's kind of like her escape from um from punches and and from from everything in a fight. So, you know, going in there going out there the first round, um I stepped out to my right to force her to move to her right, which made her very uncomfortable. And that's kind of where in the first round it, I kind of saw her her reaction in her face and it's kind of it, that's where she little by little she started falling apart mentally because she wasn't used to that. So just taking her out of her comfort zone was the the main thing um in our game plan from the beginning to the end. Was that something you guys saw on tape uh, uh, and talked about uh, before the fight? Yeah, that's something that, um, that we, we noticed and, and talked about during training camp. You know, she's always, uh, 
always moving to her left to try to get get out of a, a certain, uh, you know, exchange or to get into another position. And uh, she's very comfortable moving, doing certain things that she's got away with for a long time because, you know, she's a, she is a very good fighter. And, and um, you know, she just does – she was doing things um, in every fight that she would – you know, also a lot of mistakes that she would get away with. And, and you know, with me, like, I, I kind of, like, dissect every little every little um, weakness and also every strength of every fighter. That way I go into a fight even, you know, taking away their strengths as well. And that's what I wanted to do with Annabelle. You know, she has a lot of strengths um, in her, in her, in her, in her, in what she does. So the main thing was to just, you know, uh, take away those um Take away those strengths and then, uh, you know, react on, on those weaknesses. What were the strengths that you were looking for? Um, her strengths of being, you know, very uh, aggressive and, and throwing lots of punches. You know, Annabelle, uh, in, in all her fights that I've seen, you know, she's a very, she's like a, a punching machine. She does not stop coming forward. She's aggressive. Uh, she stays in there for exchanges. And, uh that's something that I, I knew that would be one of her strengths. So going into the fight, I knew that she would be durable and, and that she would be very tough. Um, but I feel like I just wasn't allowing her to get comfortable and, and throw as many punches that she, that, as she usually does and, and throw them when she wanted to because little by little she was starting to think of, you know, the counters that would come if she did throw a certain punch. So I just wanted to get her to overthink and kind of, not really know what to do. And, and I noticed that it was working, um, you know, kind of right after the first round because her, her, her coaches, I was hearing them, uh, what they were telling her as we were fighting, and, and they weren't giving her any specific instructions because they didn't really even know what to do. They were just saying, tira, tira. And I'm not the best in Spanish, but I know, you know, that means, you know, keep, <laughs> keep going, go forward. And they were just saying, you know, and I was thinking to myself, okay, you're just telling her to come forward, but like, you know, tell her, like some, I was waiting for them to say something specific, but they weren't. And, uh, you know, I, I did feel kind of bad that, like, she wasn't they, – they had no idea what to do either. But that's that was part of the game plan as well, is to not only confuse her, but to confuse her corner so they don't know what to tell her. And that's exactly what happened. What, what would you rank her amongst all the fighters that you have fight, fought before? Oh, definitely the best. Definitely the best and, and the toughest. Um yeah, definitely. She 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 was a champion for that long for for a reason. After you knocked her down, did you think the fight would end early, or or what did you expect? I no, I expected her to to get right back up like she like she did and just keep coming, keep trying. Um, I I believe the only time she had been down was against Jessica Bop. I've I've saw that fight and uh, she went down uh, kind of more of a, of a flash knockdown. I think. Um, when she went down with me, she was a little bit more hurt, um, but she's, she's tough. I knew she would get back up and, and keep trying. Did you get a chance to talk to her after the fight? I did. Yeah. I spoke to her. She was very humble and, and, you know, very kind. And she just told me to, um, that I'm the best fighter she's ever faced and that, you know, I, I, I deserve to be champion and that to just, uh, carry the carry the title with with pride and continue to 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 work hard and and be the best and now you're going to be fighting it uh next month in los angeles at the bank of california against uh tsunami tenkai uh it's a new division uh how difficult is that Mm -hmm. going to be to move up one division um well 108 and 105 is kind of um i feel like those Two weight classes are, are natural weight classes for me. Uh, I mean, I of course you all you all you all know that I've fought at 112 many times, but 112 mm-hmm. isn't where I've wanted to be. Um, just because I walk around at like 112, so uh, you know, making 108 and making 105 is is uh, is great. You know, I, I feel I feel great there. I feel I feel strong there. I feel fast there. I feel like that's where I should be. So um, fluctuating from 105 to 108 is really no no big deal for me um you know it's going to 112 just because i know the girls there will be physically bigger and heavier um but you know maybe eventually i'll i'll fight at 112 again but i'm looking forward to fighting at 108 uh i'm going to pass you on to loopy loopy go ahead Sanisa, hey hi loopy 
Hi, great to, always great to speak with you. And congratulations on your again on your world title win and the next one coming up. Thank you. And so Denisa, let's just go straight to it. Nobody wants to fight you. I'm I'm exaggerating. <laughs> so uh, so let's talk fighters. Okay, you already spoke a little bit of your next opponent, Tenkai Tsunami. Mm-hmm. Um, you know this is going to be so exciting. It's kind of like USA versus Japan. So you and Salem must be so ready. Are you guys kind of looking at each other like a tag team on this card? Oh, yeah, for sure. Me and Salem are really good friends, and we're so excited to be fighting on the same card together and then both for world titles. Um, it's so cool. We talk, like, every day about it. <laughs> so I know she's excited, too, and, and she's ready. And, um, and yeah, I'm happy to be fighting at home. Um, man, it's, it seems like it's been forever since I fought at home. And fighting here in L.A. is always um, so much fun with having family and friends there and, and, and fans. And since I last fought in L.A., my, you know, my, my following as far as fans has grown. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to see everyone come, come out and support. It's going to be fun. It is. And everybody's been cooped up, so that everyone who's going to try to get out there. We're yeah, I know. It's there. so funny because my family, like, my family and friends are the worst at getting tickets. Everybody gets them last minute. And then now, like, <laughs> because of COVID, everyone's, everyone's so excited to get out that, like, they got their tickets, like, pre-sale. And I was like, oh, my God, finally. <laughs> that is so great. Okay. So the elusive Yesenia Gomez, who holds the WBC light flag title. Does she, does she not want to fight you, or do they oh, not, man. people not want her to fight you? Who is it? It's honestly, it's been so frustrating, and you guys, you guys have known me for a while now, and you know that I'm not the type to call out fighters or talk shit or anything. But I'm kind of getting tired of it now. I feel like I have to in order to make these organizations and and these girls fight me because, like with Yesenia Gomez, we've been trying for the past like almost two years and. And her promoter tells Golden Boy, like, straight out, um, I, you know, the first time, uh, the first couple of times it was, oh, not yet, not yet. And then the third time it was, let me get her some easier fights first. And then it was, um, I'm taking her to Canada to, for a two-fight deal because fighting your girl is a risk. Like, I mean, it, it's ridiculous. And, like, I'm, I'm sure you're all going to say it because – people need I want people to know that like I want these fights like I want to fight the best I want to fight all the champions and whoever's considered the best but her Santa Gomez's promoter is not allowing it to happen and the WBC is not forcing her to fight me um and then the same thing with um uh Tina uh, I can't pronounce yeah, her her, her name West. but yeah yeah she's Rupert. a WBC she 105 WBC champion minimum. Mm-hmm. Right, and um, with her, she, like, we've asked to fight, and then they said they have a mandatory, but then, like, she started a GoFundMe to fund her her fight so she can fight. It's yeah. like, if you want to make that $40,000, you could have fought me for $50,000, but you said no. Um, and it, oh, it's, just, it's just so frustrating. And then Yacosta Valle, there's always some excuse with her. And then she was supposed to fight Karina. Like, what happened with that? Like, I don't, I don't know, like. What honestly, it's frustrating because I want to I want to be great. I want to fight the best, and I feel like this is like my this is my full time job. Like this is my life, and I feel like all these mm-hmm. girls who have the titles, this is just like a part time thing for them. It's like yeah. this is not they they're not showing that they really want to do this and they really want to fight the best and be the best and leave a legacy. They're just holding on to their belts and I'm tired of it. It's it's not fair. It's not fair to me because I work so hard and I've been doing this since I was a kid and this is like my life. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, they all have the titles. You got to have the IBF minimum. Tina has the WBC minimum. Uh, what about and, and you mentioned Karina Moreno and I know you're looking for titles. So what would it take for her to get back in the, for you to let her get back in the ring with you? Uh, Karina? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that would be great if she went, was able to win a, a world title and, and we fight each other. That would be great. I mean, I've, I've known Karina since I first started fighting. You know, she was someone, when I was an amateur, she was, you know, a pioneer in the professionals. 
So, um, yeah, it'll be great to find her. Hopefully, I was hoping she would find you closer and beat her, but uh, I don't know. Is that fine? No, it's not. That was postponed. Oh, okay. So, well, yeah, yeah I'll so, be uh, I'll be rooting for Karina. I hope she I hope she does win that fight if uh, they do when they do fight. And what about um? And I know you're looking for titles, but what about Jessica Box? I mean, she's done with the Olympic qualifiers. She got she's done. So have you heard from her? Will you hear from her? <laughs> well, before the Olympic qualifiers, we're asking to fight, and same thing with her. Just uh excuses and wanted me to go to Argentina but that makes no sense because uh you know I'm a draw here in the U.S. why would I go to Argentina I think you know she doesn't want to leave Argentina because she has all of her judges and her officials and um Mm -hmm. it just I mean it doesn't make no sense for me to go there for her to come here will make more sense she'll make the most money that she's she's made in her career um but yeah I mean Jessica Bopp is now I think the W. BA made her like the super champion or something like that. No. Whatever that means, I don't know what that means. Does that mean that she doesn't really have a current title, but she gets like a? It's like the right, like kind of like the queen. Yeah. Something like that, but yeah, when she yeah it's. It, it is. It must be frustrating because you have the ones who should be fighting you hiding, but then you have the the ones like. Serena McCoy, and we all know she's a young pro, and she's probably the only one calling you out and, and yelling it out. Do you think her call-outs are a little bit premature, and do you see her getting her shot eventually with you? Because <laughs> you know it. We've oh, my God. <laughs> I think I think she's, she's more – I thought Marlin was delusional, but she's more delusional <laughs> than Marlin. <laughs> um, yeah, I've I've seen her fight, and honestly, like I laughed because I thought it was like a joke, and I was like, really, like come on, like I'm, it's not even, it's a, a waste of time for me to even say anything back to her. Um, so yeah, I mean, until I was, she grows, it's pretty much. Oh yeah, it she's got she's got to grow big time. That's like her her like skillfully, she's got a long way to go thinking and I don't I don't know I mean sometimes some of us you know we get in a mood and we'll be like yeah when the time comes and then sometimes we get in a mood where we go you know what be careful whose toes you step up on the way up because you might meet me do, do you feel like that sometimes when they talk really nasty do you feel like hey I can not I mean yeah that. yeah right and then you never know what can you never know what can happen I mean maybe eventually we could face each other soon but um Hey, I don't know. I I continue to just focus on the fight in front of me. Yeah, exactly. You know, I have a question, but this is more just for me personally because I always think about these things. Okay, so Amanda Atkins, she's 5-0, five knockouts, and she was a last-minute replacement. I mean, five knockouts. Mm -hmm. So were you not – okay, were you not going to underestimate your opponent because she has five knockouts, so you came out very strong – or did you realize that mm-hmm. she wasn't what she portrayed herself to be and you wanted to put her out of her misery fast? That's what I was thinking. Um, what did you that's think? a good question. Yeah, no, okay, with that fight, I had no idea what to expect. Not, like, I was kind of, I was very cautious because going into the fight, um, when we saw that she was five, uh, five wins, five knockouts, um, and then there wasn't, we couldn't find any footage on her. So we were like, okay, like, it doesn't matter where this person fought or who this person fought. Like, when you look at somebody's records, they, if they have five knockouts, they knock, they stop somebody. So, I mean, you, you never know what to expect. This person obviously, like me thinking, this person is obviously, um, does something right and does something good. I had no idea. So going into the fight, I expected her to just be this freaking pit bull like I didn't know you know I didn't know what to expect (laughs) so I was like okay I'm definitely going in here starting off this fight um on on point and and as quick as possible and um uh looking at her looking at who she did fight we're like okay she didn't really beat anybody with any kind of record but we still never know because we haven't seen yeah. her fight. So we still have to be cautious. So the game plan was to go out there, faint, which is what I did, and see her reaction. When there was no reaction, that's when I let go of all of my punches. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, 
Yeah, like, like that's a great question, and I, I didn't know what to expect, and I went in there just expecting, like, if she was going to be Mike Tyson, because you can't, you, you like, you never yeah. know with a record like that and not seeing any, you know, and um, I would, you did you know, her a favor. Like, you did her a favor. Yeah, and then if I would have, like, went all the rounds with her, then people would have still been talking shit and criticizing, saying, oh, you went a round or two rounds with that dumb. So, like, yeah. you're never going to satisfy anybody. You did her anybody. a favor. You did her a favor just by ending it quick so she didn't get really hurt. Hey, did you get – that right. was the fastest knockout in women's boxing history. Did you get the World Book of – did you get in Guinness to book a record for that? Um, No, I didn't. How well, do I, I, don't, how do, I do that? Look into it. Yeah. I think you can get in touch with them. You should. Oh, cool. So, changing the subject, you know – I watched your, your mini doc, which was really great, and people should just go to Golden Boy Live and watch it. It's short. It's just, it's really done well. And, you know, Thank when, you. De La Hoya, when he presented you with your first world title belt, he stated that he felt the legacy continued from one East L.A. boxer to another. How emotional was this presentation to you? And what, and did what he say resonate with you as well? Oh, it did. Yeah, that night was a night that, I'll never forget. It was, it was just so great to just have everyone from Golden Boy there, like uh, Robert Diaz, Eric Gomez, Oscar himself, and just you know the the Golden Boy staff, everyone there to to support me. Um, and Oscar presenting me the belt was like, it was just the best thing ever. Like we we relate so much because you know we're from the same place and we come from the same neighborhood and same background. So. It's awesome to see like how how proud he is of me when he sees me and and when he talks to me. Um, he's just really excited and happy for me. So it's it's great because Oscar's somebody who he's a legend, somebody who I looked up to a lot when I was a kid. You know, he also said that you manifested this whole thing. And if you do go back to watch uh, the mini doc on Golden Boy Live, the first part, um, you said yourself it starts out that you always knew that this was going to happen. You know, that's such a, mm-hmm. it's a special gift to have that inside of you. So how do you tell a young boxer with that, those same dreams that they can go out and do this? I mean, how do you put what you did into words? Oh, man, just uh, the best, like, advice and, and, and the best things I can say is just, you know, speaking and thinking in, into existence is, is a real thing. Like, I... I envisioned everything. I envisioned my whole career. Obviously, there was a lot of more bad times in my career than good times. But, I mean, now we're getting to the good times. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've always envisioned these, these these great moments. And I envision all of my goals and all of my dreams and uh, before they even happen. And just visualizing it and visualizing what you want to do and putting that into your mind every day and into your heart is um is you know is, is a way of making everything come true and of course there's been a lot of like doubt along the way and stuff and um and I, sometimes I don't even know how like I continue to 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 fight and continue to believe in myself because um a lot of a lot of this journey was very discouraging but um the one thing that I always thought of every time I lost belief in myself and got discouraged is you know, I knew that I wouldn't be able to spend the rest of my life regretting what I could have done and what I could have become if I would have quit and given up on myself and, and stopped believing in myself. Yeah, and I think that each belt you get is going to make you stronger. You yes, know, definitely. I, you know, yeah, I, you know, I don't want to keep you because I know you're tired. You don't, And you don't even sound tired. You know, you have yeah, a lot of energy. talking to you guys. You guys, you guys are awesome. <laughs> but it's so great talking to you as always, and I'm so excited, and I can't wait because whenever you win, we all feel like winners. I know us girls do, us California thank girls. Thank you. I'm going to talk to you, Felipe. So talk soon and take care. You too. Thank you. Hi, Sinisa. How you doing? Hi. Doing well. Thank you. I won't take. I won't keep you long. I know that you probably need to uh, get some rest and maybe have dinner. So, uh, by listening to your conversation with David and the way that you kind of broke down uh, the strategy of 
uh, Anabel Avispa Ortiz. It sounds like you and your team, Dean Campos, uh, your trainer, your dad, Joe Estrada, um, you know, get in there and really analyze your opponent. What can you tell us about Tsunami uh, 10K and how you have analyzed her style? Yeah, um, Tsunami is um, a good fighter, and Tsunami is very awkward. That's the main thing uh, going into this fight, and the main thing in training camp that we're working on is is her awkwardness. And, you know, she doesn't throw, you know, a, a large variety of punches, but her movement is very awkward, and her footwork is very awkward, but she does all that awkwardness with a lot of mistakes. So, um, you know, fighting awkward fighters sometimes can be a little a little difficult because it could kind of throw you off and, and make you look, you know, not not uh, not your best. So I'm just uh, just making sure I just stick to perfecting the fundamentals and um, you know doing certain things to throw uh, to make her pay for the awkwardness and the mistakes that she does. You mentioned a couple of minutes ago that you had some good times and bad times in your career. And, um, and inside the ring, I think you have some ups and downs. You had that knockdown. Uh, I forgot the young woman's name at the Belasco Theater. Um, what was her name? Do you remember? My, uh, Mandy? Oh, right, yeah. Uh, Fuentes. Yeah, Mandy. You had that knockdown against Mandy Fuentes. Then you had a pretty good technical strategic fight with Marlene Esparza when you came on top and then you just had um, um, your, your, be- your best opponent according to you and, and Anabel Ortiz now one thing that I have talked to to Japanese uh, writers as well and I ask them you know what is the one thing you know how Mexican fighters are considered you know all heart tough fighters you know that go out there and are willing to take yeah. three punches to to, to land one, I ask Japanese writers, how would you describe the Japanese fighter? And they say, you know, courageous, that they're going there, that they're very similar to a Mexican fighter. Do you, mm-hmm. what did you see from, from, tank, from Tsunami 10K, do you see that, like maybe her being similar as far as her courage and her heart to Anabel Ortiz, or do you expect something different? Um, yeah, you know what? That's uh, that's that's a good analogy. And then they definitely are courageous. Like I, we were just talking about that in training camp. Um, she's she's very courageous. Um, and Japanese fighters, they take a lot of punches. They take a lot of punishment. Like I mean, not in a bad way, but you know, also in a good way because they're very. It shows how courageous they are and and how much they go in there and are just willing to give it their all. Um, but I. Just from studying, you know, tsunami, I think uh, my prediction is I'm gonna I'm gonna slowly uh, break her break her down, and, and maybe, you know, it could lead to a stoppage or her her quitting in the corner. Who knows? But um, I know that mentally and, and physically, I'll I'll be able to break her down because um, I'm not gonna allow her to control the pace or do the things that she's used to doing um, against other other fighters. Now you, I've seen, I mean, I've seen pretty much all your fights, and um, I know that you're not afraid to get in there and mix it up. But you're very technical. You're very talented. You've been fighting your whole life. You, you kind of, you mentioned various times, and we all know that one of your favorite fighters is Roy Jones Jr., which had a very elusive style. But being Mexican American, and and you know, and coming from that lineage and that heritage, do you ever feel that you, at one day you would want to like? just go in there and just like brawl it out and prove that you're as tough as these other girls, but just a much more <laughs> technical fighter that you don't have to do that. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I think at, at certain moments and, and, or, and, or in certain fights against certain opponents, like I'll be able to show that. Um, and I feel like, like all the fights that have, have been seen of mine that like when I first, from, from first signing with golden boy, like I, I had, when I first signed with golden boy, I had like seven or six knockouts in a row and then I fought Marlin and then I had the seven second knockout and then I had this fight with Annabelle. I feel like with this fight with Annabelle, people were actually able to see all the different things that I can do and, and the different ways that I can fight. So I think it just takes those certain fights or certain, certain opponents to be able to bring out, 
you know, that certain style that you want to show or, or, you know, there might be an opponent that I face where I'm just going to have to go in there and just, uh, you know, um, kind of not, not brawl, but I mean, just stay in there and stay in the inside more and, and, and stay closer to my opponent and instead of being so technical and using so much footwork. So yeah, I think it just depends on the opponent. But um, I'm all—I mean, I was born a fighter. Like fighting, like I will stay in there and fight. And like I—I'm I, a born fighter, and I was taught how to box and do all the technical stuff. Like it's always came natural, natural for me when I was a kid. But you know, now training with my trainer Dean Campos, you know, he just uh, has made me—you know—it's a pro. <laughs> no headgear, eight ounce gloves, and he just—he wants to—he always wanted to make sure that. Um, you know, brawling isn't the only thing that I go in there to do every, every fight. Now, I follow you on social media. We all follow you on social media. And um, it would be naive to us to think that what we see on social media and how you are here on the interview, very eloquent and very frank, very honest, that it's the real Cineas Estrada. I mean, we have to keep something back. I mean, I do here on air. I mean, I'm not going to be the same guy that I'm outside the air um, on here because maybe people won't like me. But uh, um, <laughs> but I think, and what I've seen is from that fight with Marlene and all that pre-fight stuff, the pushing and the bad talk and the trash talking, I think, in my opinion, and, and you could agree with, disagree, and please let me know, there was a before Cineas Estrada and then there was an after. And that after Sinistra <laughs> kinda like answers more, you know, the people I, I saw you post something that you know, you were telling Tuti Buck to shut up because something and I don't know what she stated, but that was something that pre Marlene Esparza fight, Sinistra Estrada wouldn't do. And now post Sinistra Estrada Marlene fight, Sinistra Estrada does it not only with Marlene, but other fighters that have maybe called you out. Do you agree or disagree? And right. if so, please explain uh, whichever way. No, that's that's true because, um, I mean, honestly, like I, anyone who says anything about me, like I, I mean, I try my best not to say anything or nothing really. It's hard to like get under my skin or to bother me. But at a certain point, it's like Jessica Bop kept keeps saying stuff and just keeps saying stuff, and it's like okay, at a certain point, like I'm gonna. I'm gonna say something, and, and yeah, you know, like I'm I'm from East LA, so of course I have I have that in me. Um, and when you bring it out of me, it's uh it's not good. <laughs> How hard is it for you to kind of keep it down? Because you know I'm from Tijuana, and you know it's pretty much you know East LA is Tijuana North as far as I know. So uh, how hard is it for you to keep it down? Um, I mean, it's not too hard. Like, words and stuff on social media doesn't really, from fighters, doesn't really bother me much, you know. But um, I like to do my talking in the ring. So that's always uh, that's always where I'm more comfortable with uh, the talking. Well, thank you, Sydney. So we don't want to keep too much. Uh, you know, we, you need to get your rest and get ready for the fight. So we want to thank you for being here with us one more time on the two minute round and I know that it won't be the last one so we wish you all the luck in the world and more than likely we're all going to be there on July 9th and see you uh, win the world title, another world title Thank you Thank you guys so much, it's great talking to you guys Alright, have a good night Thank you for being with us Bye, have a good night Thank you And there you have it Miss Sinesa Estrada, the, the current WBO 105-pound champion, she's held the interim WBA 112-pound championship. She was the WBC 108 silver champion, but now she is a full-fledged world champion at 105, and she's going for her second title at um, 108. So pretty, pretty interesting stuff. The one thing that I found interesting is that she feels that she is the next in line for a fight against Yusena Chavez, obviously forgetting the interim champion, uh, Kenya, Kenya Enrique. So, um, one thing that she does, the one fighter she doesn't mention, not because I think she's ducking or anything, but maybe just because Kenya, we haven't seen her fight, is that they have forgotten about her. But that is the one fight that actually, that one fighter that actually nobody mentioned. Hey, Felipe or David, talking about Kenya, um, why do they put her on the WBC poster on the champion poster? Is that just to keep her happy? Like, what are they doing there? <laughs> 
Probably. Well they, put, well, they put all the interim champions. So I mean, she's not the only she's not the only interim champion for the WBC. So okay, they're, they're putting all the interim champions. I mean, I, okay. I mean, I, I, the thing the thing about what's going on with her and as far as I can see is that you know according to the rules, the one that should be facing Justina Gomez is her, not Senia Estrada and nobody else. It should be her. Mm-hmm. Although, yeah. although. A unification fight does trump a mandatory, right? And yeah. if and yeah. if Sinesis Strada were to win that WBO title, then she would deserve um, the fight. But I mean, just looking, I mean, the WBC, I mean, they have a, a, a an interim fight, an interim champion at 102, which is Luisa Haddon from Australia. The 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 full flesh is Fabiana Bitiki. Kenya Enriquez is the interim yeah. fighter at 108. Sonia Osorio is the interim champion at 115. At 118, Tatania Zaraskaya is the interim champion at 118. Rachel Ball is the interim champion at 122. Um, okay. Patricia Bergult is the interim champion at 154. Emma Cozen is the interim champion at 160. And that's it. So they do okay. have a number of interim champions. So it's not yeah. just her that's getting special treatment by putting, getting put on so so maybe if Sinisa does collect this next belt, that gets her the fight, and maybe that brings Kenya back into the mix. Maybe that's the way Senya gets in. Kenya gets in. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of, of uh, yeah, I mean, if 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 uh, Sinisa Shada were to win that title, and Kenya would, and then maybe they would force uh, Sinisa to defend against Kenya Enriquez, you know, so mm-hmm. we'll see what uh We'll see what happens there. Uh, so moving on to our um, calendar. Oh, before we go to the calendar, and one of the stories that we have kept up throughout the shows is obviously the uh, professional fighters making a bid for the Olympics. And there has been some changes in the last couple of weeks. One of them, the fact that former 160-pound champion, uh, what was her name? The, the, the Kazakhs from Germany. Oh, Christina oh, Hammer. Hammer. Hammer just lost her bid for the Olympics. So as and you mentioned in the interview with Sinisa Stradalupi that Eddie, well, Erika Fadios was making a bid. She's out because she's fight. Well, she yeah. got out out of a qualifier, and then she's fighting now Michaela Mayer, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Then we had uh, Tuti Bob, who you mentioned as well, and she's out. Um, mm-hmm. Really, no Mexicans were going after it. Uh, there were some Europeans like Christina Hammer. Uh, I can't think of anybody else off the top of my, my head, but the one, my, well, my, the only my one that's still run, in the running, it looks like it's Maiva Hamadouche, right? No, she lost. Yeah, I don't know what's happening with it. Did, did she call well, that? Is, yeah, because I saw that Michaela Mayer was still going after her on Twitter, and Maiva was actually kind of like alluding to the fact that she was still alive on on that on that bid. Hmm. So I think we have to keep up on that and see if she because because it, I mean it doesn't really have to do I mean, it's not a story for professional boxing in the two minute round because we don't really cover that type of story but it is affecting professional boxing because Amaya Hamadou mm-hmm. is the current IBF 130 pound champion and we all know and we follow the story where Eddie Hearn of Matchroom Boxing has tried actually signing Amaya Hamadou the IBF champion the WBA champion. Uh, uh, what's her name? The Korean, Hugh, uh, Choi, Hugh Mi Choi, and WBC Terry Harper with the on man now. As far as natural boxing is concerned, is Michaela Mayer with the WBO. But Eddie Hearn has tried to unify th- that weight class, and with Maiva Hamadouche uh, making a bid for the Olympics, she's kind of holding back the whole process. So it is a story yeah. that we're keeping an eye on because it does affect professional boxing. So we'll keep an yeah. eye on it and maybe we'll have a little bit more info on our next show scheduled for June 24th. So, you know, there, hey, Felipe, there was also um, Delphine Pursun who's out, and now she's back going for an IBO title. So she's back. I think at 130. And I think at 130 as well. Oh. Yeah, so she's being mentioned in the mix at 130. Obviously, she's not a world champion, 
But, you know, she is a former world champion and a very tough competitor, so they are mentioning her at 130. Before we move on to the upcoming calendar, David, do you have any, any tidbits, any upcoming news that you might want to share with us? Uh, nothing at the moment other than uh, I think we've pretty much discussed it. Okay. Yeah. So let me go over the upcoming calendar real quick, and we'll kind of talk a couple of, uh, about a couple of the fights that are happening. On Saturday, June 19th in Germany, Fanari, undefeated Fanari Netizri faces Cheyenne Hansen in an eight-rounder for the 122-pound vacant WBC youth title. And then in – and then – on, well, actually, on Saturday, June 19th, there's going to be a Lollapalooza fights, female boxing fights all over. In Miami, Melissa Odessa Parker, a friend of the show, is going to face Calista Silgado for the vacant IBO Bantamweight title. She was originally scheduled to face uh, Rodriguez, first name. Oh, what's her first name? Rosalinda. Rosalinda Rodriguez. And now it's being listed as she's facing Calista Silgado. So something happened with Rosalino Rodriguez. I saw Parker throw some trash at so uh, at at Rodriguez, basically saying yeah. that she was ducking her on social media. But actual no um, no uh, official reason of why Rodriguez is not part of that fight. And then from Miami, this is interesting because we have two fight cards out of Miami with two of them um, with with each one of those fight cards with the world title fights. Uh, female world title fight. The first one, the one I just mentioned by Melissa Odessa Parker facing Calista Silgado for the vacant IBO title. But the more, uh, the bigger one is the the one that's going to be televised on Thriller, the app, with Franchon Cruz Desern facing Erun Sedrus for the unification at 168 pounds, WBA, WBC, WBO, and IBF, and actually the Ring Magazine as well. We had Franchon Cruz Desern on our last show, episode number 111, so now with the fight here, Lupi, we saw Cedrus fight Alicia Napoleon Espinosa, and it was a good fight, and nobody expected, quite honestly, for Cedrus to pull that off. But Franchon Cruz Desert mentioned in her in her interview, I'm no Alicia Napoleon Espinosa, hinting at the fact that she's a way better fighter. Do you think Cedrus has a chance in this fight, or do you think that Cruz Desert, with her style, walks right over? No, I think um, Cedrus has a chance. I mean, she's a big girl. She's a rower. She's what she showed. I, I know Alicia has a different style, but Alicia was a champion for a while, and she she put her down. If those ropes weren't there, Alicia would have been on the ground. So, of course, she has a chance. Franchon, though, I mean, like Franchon said, she's a survivor. She's been through things in her life that no one know, you know, would live through, and she's taken all that, and um, she really thinks she's going to take it. So we shall see. David, what do you think about the competitors of that fight on June 19th? Oh, it should be a pretty good fight. I mean, I see it as an even fight. I think there's some circumstances that uh, uh, that can determine the fight. I think if uh, Franchon Cruz uh, goes to the body, she has a, a real strong chance of dropping her. Well, that is going to be on the Thriller app, and it is a pay-per-view event, so there, you're going to have to spend some money to be able to see that fight live. From Las Vegas on ESPN, Mikela Mayer faces former champion Erika Farias of Argentina in a 10-rounder, defending for the first time her WBO 130-pound title. Erika Farias has made her name at a 135 and 140. We last saw her in the United States. Challenging twice, Jessica McCaskill for those. Well, she her first fight, she lost the title. Her second fight, she challenged for it, and she lost in a much more convincing way by McCaskill. So now, do you think, David, and we'll start off with David, that her chances improve dropping to 130? Maybe that's a more natural weight class, or do you think being the bigger woman at 140 or could have been the bigger wo- woman at 140 – you know, is it better for her to drop to 130, or do you think that her better days were at 140 because of the size? I think because of her age, dropping down is dangerous. I think uh, she's going to be a lot weaker. I don't think she's going to be able to keep up with Michaela. Yeah. Michaela's unstoppable right now. And she's I, I, of, I agree. And she has a lot of gripes. 
she has a lot of gripes, so she's making her matter. Mm-hmm. Now, how, how, Lupi, question for you and then David, how, how significant is a win over this former champion, Farias? Do you think it, it means something for Mayer's career, or do you think it's kind of like a stay busy to see what happens with Park with with uh, Terry Harper and Huming Choi and Hamadouche. Yeah, it's a stay busy. I mean, there's there's no movement there, so she has to do something. And Erica wants to get back in the ring, and it's a stay busy. David, do you agree, or do you think that there's something to take from a, a major win over Farias? Uh, yeah, I think there's something to, to take because Farias was a former pound for pound fighter. I mean, she has skills, and she she was on the top for a long time. I mean, it's just that time uh, caught up to her, like it does with everybody. And uh, then Jessica basically brought her down, but Jessica is a very good fighter. And that's the one reason she beat her twice. She's very, very good. So I, I think McKenna's of the same caliber as uh, McCaskill. I agree. I agree with that, David. Because actually, when we had Mayor here on the on the show last time, she actually mentioned that uh, 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 what was her name? Eva, not Piakoska, but the other one, Bronika, who she beat for the WBO World Title. That she did have little wrinkles in her style. Like we all thought, and we all knew that Mayor was gonna go in there and dominate, which she basically did. But she mentioned to us here on the show that there were some wrinkles to. Bronica styles that kind of like made her work towards it, you know, and I think that Farias even more so with much more experience and like David mentioned a former top 10 pound for pound fighter that she is going to have those wrinkles and she is a veteran and she knows her way around that ring. So I think that she is going to maybe teach Mayer some stuff inside the ring that obviously is going to help Mayer uh, in her career and as far as moving up and facing the the better of, of the division, which is Harper, Huming Choi, and Hamadouche. Do you agree, Lupi? Yeah, that's fair point. Totally fair point. Yeah. And now lastly, on Saturday, June 19th, on The Zone from El Paso, Texas, Golden Boy Promotions gives us Yvette La Roca Zamora from Mexico facing Marlene Esparza from Houston, Texas in a 10-rounder for Zamora's WBC flyweight title so on saturday june 19th and that's going to be a great fight i mean we have that natural mexican style that we talked to siniestra strata about i mean samora if there's one thing technical most talented very tough she's very very experienced i mean she's faced everybody from 105 to 112 and she throws a lot of punches and she's coming from the mountains she actually in the mountains, Ecatepec, where she's from, is actually at oh. a very high altitude, and she's actually training up oh, wow. in the mountains of the state of Mexico. So, so her in her first fight in the U.S. Um, so we have this Mexican style, like Anabel Avispa Ortiz, and facing, you know, your your Mexican American very accomplished Olympic bronze medalist in Marlene Esparza. But for me. I think Mayor Farias is a great fight. I think Chris Desern is Cedrus. But for me, that weekend, that Saturday, it's about Zamora and Esparza. David, yeah. what are your thoughts? David. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, that's a really tricky fight. Uh, Marlon's an excellent boxer, but Zamora, I mean, she, she's been fighting boxers uh, her whole life. So we'll, we'll see whose uh, style prevails. Loopy. Yeah, and you know, if I bet, I mean, she has all these, you said it's the first time she's fighting the States. I mean, she's got all these pluses in the mountains. I mean, she's got all these pluses that she's going to come. I mean, Marlene, you got to hand in Marlene taking this fight. And she better be ready because I bet's going to be, she's going to come out, okay? Guns blazing. It's going to be great. What a and I, boxing. Yeah, and I hate to say this about Marlene because she's a friend of the show and I, I've interviewed a couple of times. She's a really nice, nice woman. But mm-hmm. I think we saw some chinks in that fight against uh, Estrada. Like, you know, she faced certain 
a certain level of fighters before the Estrada fight, and then she faced Estrada, who is a world-class fighter. Obviously, she's proven it by winning those belts and being a world champion right now, you know, and she beat her, you know, and now she's going to face another world champion who might not be in the prime of her career, but she's not too far away from it. And if we're talking about experience, you know, Yvette La Roca Zamora is above and beyond anybody, anybody that not only Marlene Esparza has faced, but also Senesa Estrada. So I think it's going to be a, a very I, – I, I, for one, right now, think it's a 50-50 fight. Yeah. Yep. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit more on Ibet's side. Wow, Lupe more. leaning towards La La Roca Zamora. Maybe a little more. But you know what? All that you just said about this fight, it makes me think about Tulem with Tulem's fight coming up, and she's fighting a champion, and she just came off the Marlene loss. How's that fight gonna go? Mm. Her training yeah, camp well, must be insane. Well, we have another show before that, so we could kind of go into that one on that show. Yeah. Now. David, before uh, before uh, we close out the show, you know we are we 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 harped on. The, well, actually, I have harped on the fact that Samora has a lot a lot of experience, but I believe that she has never fought. And I'm gonna double check. She has never fought out of Mexico. Even with all that experience, how much do you think it would affect her fighting the United States for the first time? Um, I think uh, not so much fighting. In the United States for the first time, I think fighting that style. I think Marlon has mastered that style of being able to move, change directions, and kind of like she did with Sulema Urbina. And uh, it's just going to be a little harder because someone has always fought like that, very aggressive. But uh, I think Marlon, she she always comes up with something, you know. You count her out and you think she's, she's done and, and she comes up with something. And looks yeah. uh, really good. I mean, I got to get her, give her credit for taking this fight. I mean, yeah. she she's not saying no to anybody. She's just taking them all. She's me, not trying to yeah. be pampered like a like a, they're pampering Yesenia Gomez. Let me go over. Let me go over La Roca Zamora's record for you guys, just so you could, so we could get even more excited over this fight. Okay, she went pro in 2007. <laughs> okay. She went pro and she won a unanimous decision in her pro in her pro debut against Ana Arrasola, who is a former world champion. She won a, a title at 105 later in her career from Mexico City. Her second fight, she won a split decision over also future world champion Esmeralda La Joya Moreno. Okay, mm-hmm. so right there in her first two fights, she faced future world champions. In her third fight, which was a rematch against Esmeralda Moreno, she lost. And then two fights later, she beat another future world champion in Jessica Laquica Chavez. Her fight, wow. and the reason that they're fighting at this point in their careers is because there was the beginning of female boxing in Mexico and there was nobody else to fight. But after she fights Jessica Laquica Chavez and beats her, she beats Anabel La Vispa Ortiz in her next fight. Okay? And then... This is this is her first five fights, six fights. Then in her like before her, she has ten fights. She goes to Uruguay and she loses a unanimous decision for the WBA Life Flyweight title against Jessica Tutti Bob. So in her in, in in her first six or seven fights, she faced one, two, three, four, five future and well one current world champion at that point, Bob, and then four other future world champions, beating the majority wow. of them. Then um, she fights. She goes to Japan. So, oh, actually, after that Monte uh, uh, Uruguay fight, she went to Panama and she won there. So she fought outside of Mexico. Then in 2011, she went to Japan and lost to Etsuko Tada for the minimum uh, WBA title. Um, sure. Then she fought. Uh, she lost to Jessica Neri Plata, who is the interim uh, WBA champion right now at 108. Then she lost to. Uh, future world champion Irma Sanchez. Then she went to Japan and won a split decision for the vacant WBC light flyweight title against Naoko Shibata. Um, And then she beat Ava Knight in 2013. Then she beat Jessica Kika Chavez again, this time in the world title fight. 
Then she beat Jorgleen Blackshear in 2015. Then she beat Esmeralda Moreno again. Um, she beat, and then she lost to Esmeralda Moreno, losing the title there at the light flyweight. Then she goes up to Isabel Millan, who just retired. We're going to have a story on her uh, fairly quickly here. Then in 2018, she beat another world champion in Melissa McMorrow. She beat Jan Chaos Minowa. And then now she's going to be facing Marlene Esparza in the United States. So, I mean, wow. I mean, deep diving into her career, it's pretty, pretty impressive, David. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. So with There's that no said, that to me, yeah, that to me, uh, that to me is the fight of the night on June 19th. But like I mentioned, we have Mayer against Erika Farias on ESPN and on Thriller, French Jean-Claude against Aaron Sederus and non-televised Melissa Dessa Parker against Calista Delgado and in Germany, Fanari Netiri, Net, Neti, I don't know, Netiri against Cheyenne Hansen for the vacant WBC youth title. So our next show is scheduled for June 24th. And with that said, from Mr. David Avila, from Mrs. Lupi Gutierrez, and myself, Felipe Leon, on the Two Minute Round, your hooks and jazz look at female boxing. This has been episode number 12, 112, and our next show, tune in June 24th. Well, more than likely, we'll have a very special guest. And with that, we bid you good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. And now, your show, Two Minute Round.